Studio S M L. Welcome to the Studio SML podcast. In this series of candid conversations, we talk to some of the most established architects and designers in Singapore about how they got to where they are today. Hear about their personal journeys and the highs and lows of running a design practice in Singapore. Enjoy the rest of this podcast. In this episode, we have Chang Yongter of Chang Architects. Founded in 2000, Chang Architects has remained a one-man firm until today. As a principal architect, Yongter shares with us why he prefers to stay small, as well as some of the memorable projects he has worked on over the years. Maybe just start from your personal journeys. Firstly, just would just like to know how did your previous architectural experience working under Mr. Tang Guanbi, right? I believe, like when you first graduated, how did that influence your subsequent works? Uh, I was with uh, Tang Guanbi during my the second part of my internship. So before that, I was with ADTP. Then yeah, ADTP is is a different practice, different culture. So when I went to uh, Tang Guanbi, is is kind of the some. Sense of liberation in the sense that that the office is less structured. Mm. Yeah, and then the focus is very much on uh, design. Okay. Yeah, and then uh, and then went back to school for for my year four and year five. Yeah, and then after graduation, I I didn't really start work. Yeah, I I was uh, hoping to do some other things, anything except architecture, because I know once I dive into architecture, mm. it'll be for the rest of my life. Okay. Yeah. So I was doing odd jobs. Yeah, and most of the time, I spend quite a fair bit of time are doing flower arrangements. Do you learn under a particular? Do you go find a particular master to learn from? No, really, it was set up in an industrial place, Pasar、okay. Panjang. So it's very much a, a, a warehouse of dried flowers, and then、oh, okay. I'm supposed to like arrange.、Uh, it's more for mass production、okay. to be sold in the retail, in the market. It's not very much like ikebana. I see. It's something the more flowers you you put in, <laughs> more flavorful it was. <laughs> But I try to make it nice and then、uh, okay, artful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I did that till up to I think October. So yeah, you graduated in what like May, right? Then yeah, so you did May, that for a few months. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. And then the school started to call me because they were doing surveys on the employment rates. <laughs> I wasn't in the architects, <laughs> so I, I, yeah, yeah. So I pulled out their employment rate, <laughs> and then after a while, my parents were grumbling because I'm not doing a proper job. So, and then I bumped into Mr. Tang again. So he said, "Don't waste your time. Come and join me." So, so I I did. I see, I、yeah. see. So I joined him, and then it was a very eventful、uh, five years over there. Was there like a large difference in the experience between like you know as an intern and as a full-time actual employee? Uh, actually. Of course, when you went back, I mean, you are a slightly more mature person,、mm. and then you have a different outlook in life. And then,、uh, of course, the responsibility is heavier because it's you are no longer intern. You are expected to know some、yeah. more knowledge about、yeah. construction, and、mm. yeah. So I went in with quite a different mindset in、mm. the sense. But the culture at Tengkuanbi was the same as before. <laughs> and Ling Hao was there. She was there as when I was an intern, and then he was still there.、Oh. So it wasn't. That much of a difference in terms of the office.、Uh, okay, it's nice to have the familiar faces. How would you say that those experiences under Mr. Tang Wanbi, ADDP, as well as the floor arrangement, did they have a significant impact on your subsequent works? You know, your outlook towards design, or even maybe just your 
outlook towards life in general? Of course, the culture that, that I was absorbed in uh, Tenguanbi has, mm. uh, has a great influence in my subsequent, how, how I um, approach my words. Because Mr. Tang, he is he's very focused in architecture. Mm. And he, he doesn't have a table. He didn't have a table. <laughs> yeah, so he will be walking around and then he okay. will be talking anything but architecture. And most of the time, it will be gossips. He's <laughs> uh, architect's friends and then he is. And that's from his uh, conversation, we, we learned quite a fair bit about see, the industry and yeah. But it always went back to architecture. Okay. Yeah. So it also, in a way, imposed upon us as a very serious or full-time designer. It's not like you go there just for a 9 to 5 job. I see, I see. Yeah, this, this uh, architecture affair is, is like 24-7. So really architecture as a lifestyle, right? It is, it is, yeah. Sometimes he, he will nag, because I was singer during those years, <laughs> then he, he, he will nag better get a, a girlfriend with good taste <laughs> to, to that extent. Yeah, okay. yeah. How about your, uh, you know, your education in NUS? Like, how do you think like, the period in school like sort of shape your experience. Maybe earlier you mentioned like about how thesis was a turning point. So maybe could you elaborate a bit more about that? Yeah. NUS I mean most of us went in into architecture without really know what architecture was, uh, especially during yeah. our time. I was at the orientation uh, program and then the before we, we decide what course to take and then there was some JC student asking is what kind of engineer is uh, architecture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the art scene it's, uh, during that period also is not not very much alive. Okay. Yeah. So when I went into architecture, I think my year one tutor kind of uh, made a shift in my mind mindset, and yeah, he he had great influence uh, okay. over me. Yeah. He was uh, the late Mr. Wang Takui. Yeah, he he got his uh, degree in. Uh, all the way back at, at uh, Berkeley University. Oh wow! Okay. And and he he met uh, Mr. Frank Wright. Okay. Yeah. So, so I mean, best. he was yeah. already quite elderly when he was our tutor in I year see. one. Yeah. So he had a lot of experiences to share with us. Then he, he sparked the uh, passion in me in mm. architecture. Yeah. The good thing about NUS during those days is mm. that the tutors are, are specialists in their various fields. Okay. Yeah. So. So we really learn a lot and it's very diverse. We have tutors specialized in the fine arts, then history of architecture. Okay, okay. We have uh, landscape architects. And of course we have services. Uh, they are all, all experts mm. in their own field and then structure. I see, I yeah. see. So that those five years really opened up my worldview. Yeah. And architecture is a really a balanced course because it's not so much about developing your left brain but also your right brain. So also we have a good mix of uh, students and of, from different backgrounds. With different uh, strengths. Yes, mm. we have classmates from commerce stream, oh, okay. classmates from the science stream and I the see, art I stream. See. And then you can see how, how they uh, address those different topics. Okay, how about thesis? How was that like a shift so in the sense? So when it comes to the thesis, actually uh, in year four, there was an academic program called okay. the Healing Center. Okay. Yeah. So the brief was given to us one month before the, the next term. Okay. Yeah. So we have one month of brief to look into what we want to do for the healing. Okay. So there were some options like uh, Ayurvedic, TCM, 
mm. and yoga. So we we supposed to choose the vehicle for the program. So I chose yoga and then went to look up for those days were yellow pages. Uh, look up for free courses on yoga <laughs> to understand what yoga is. That's cool. That's very cool. So so I saw one and then and then I call up and then they they have, they have free courses. So I signed up and, and I attended. Yeah. And then it happened to be a meditation course. Yeah, it's not so much about hatha yoga. Mm. There's no stretching at all. It's pure meditation. Yeah. So I attended it, and then they also had information on the whole entire philosophy of yoga. That's nice. That sounds that'll be very helpful. Yes, yes yeah. Mm. So from that, it's a shift again mm. in my in my worldview <laughs> into something more of the non-physical aspects of life. I see, I see. Yeah. Okay, makes a lot of sense. And then when I do the, did the yoga project, my tutor was uh, this uh, Dr. Paina Indorf. She's an uh, expert in the Hindu and uh, Southeast Asia uh, indigenous architecture. And the topic for the thesis was uh, space-time causation, Desha Kala Nimitta. So it's really question back to the very origin of uh, this physical form, or this physical world that we are in and then. Okay. Yeah, until now I'm still searching. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you actually tie that back to architecture? So for thesis you need a vehicle to demonstrate what mm. you're trying to to express or mm. study into. So the vehicle was a very mundane uh, program, it's uh, Indian Chamber of Commerce. So within that complex of uh, space and form, I've uh, tried to incorporate some of the Hindu philosophies within this, how the forms uh, space. Okay, so earlier you, uh, you talked about Mr. Tangwanbi. So when you first started on your own as a one-man show uh, with Chang Architects, did you have you know a mentor or people that helped you when you first uh, started out? Like I'm assuming like Mr. Tang, you still seem quite close. I'm sure he gave you a lot of advice. Yeah. So how was that experience? It, it wasn't planned for because when I joined Mr. Tang, I I planned to like work for him for the rest of my life. It was a simple uh, aspiration in life. Yeah, mm. I work for a master and then yeah. But then in 1999, the recession came and it was quite bad and then the practice was uh, affected. So at that point of time, a classmate approached me and then she said uh, her sister is looking for architect to do A&A for semi-D. Yeah. So that was the time when I pondered and then I decided to, to come out on my own. And then when I came out, uh, a few months later, another classmate approached me and then she had he had a client to, to introduce. I, I took it up. So with these two projects, I, I, I the practice took off. I see. So it was by chance in a sense. Yes. Okay. Yes. Was the relationship with Mr. Tang like affected uh, as a result of this? Of course, he. Yeah. <laughs> I was the last architect in the office, and if I, and also at the time, Randy was trying to set up his practice, and then he was looking for a space. So eventually, he, he rented a space at, at the same office. Yeah. So with Randy around, then some of the projects that were stopped, uh, eventually he took it up to complete it. Yeah, so there was someone to oversee the, the left behind projects. I see, I yeah, see. Yeah. And of course, Mr. Tang was sad for me to go and mm. I also felt sad, but just that we, yeah, I, things have to move on. He was, I mean, encouraging in, in a way. He was, I mean, a happy conclusion, okay. as, I mean, as an employee. That what were some of the initial teething issues that came with setting out your own firm? I assume like having to make the adjustment from working for someone to having to take on all the responsibilities for project on your own, like licensing with the contractors, the engineers, that kind of thing. Actually, it was very smooth because oh, okay. in Tangwanbi, I was doing almost everything. Yeah, basically everything. So when it comes to doing it on my own, yeah, there's no change except 
it's a different setup, different office. You've won a lot of accolades, both as an individual and as the principal of your own firm, like the 20 under 45, the President's Design Awards, things like that. So, would you say that these awards were turning points for the firm and also how important do you think such awards are for architectural firms in general? Okay. When I started out on my practice, I, I just wanted to do good works and then I, I didn't care about taking up in competitions or awards and then I just want to do good works. And then along the way, um, this uh, URA friend lady approached me because she was in charge of the 20 under 45. <laughs> so she's tasked to look for young architects. And then she approached me and then I thought uh, it's more like helping her there. I see. Okay, I decided to join, okay. join this program. So I signed up and then so that there was some audition involved. So they visited the sites and then yeah. And then I was uh, selected. Okay. Yeah. So actually, that on on the other hand, it really helped me a lot because it, it, it once you are main listed in the twenty, I and mean, then of course publicity really helps. Mm. Yeah. So I mean, I'm very grateful for URA and also for Larry to have uh, thought of this to promote young local architects. Will you say that it's important for architectural firms to strive for these awards? Because like you said, the amount of jobs that will come in, like it's also a very big financial turning point. Or do you think that you would have done just fine even without these? I, I wouldn't say it would, it would be the same. Mm. Yeah, but it really, really helped because okay. uh, no amount of advertisement that you pay to a magazine or publisher can equal to I such see. an recognition. Mm. Yeah, even the PDA, yes, is invaluable. Yes. As the principal of a one-man firm, what are some of your responsibilities? Do you delegate work to like maybe like freelancers, or do you prefer the control that comes with doing everything by yourself? Uh, it wasn't planned to be one man. Yeah. Okay. I, I normally go with the flow. If let's say there are more projects come, so eventually I, I got an assistant. Okay. Yeah. Of course, I will take up jobs that are within my means at that point of time. Okay. Yeah, and also projects that could maybe help me to grow. Yes. Yeah. So by doing within a means, I mean you, you can plan pretty well. Okay. And being small is also very nimble. Okay. Yeah. Of course, I I won't be taking like master plan or condominium projects. That that be uh, always my scope. What are some unique difficulties that you face since setting up your own practice, uh, as opposed to working for Mr. Tang or ADDP? Have there been conflicts with clients or engineers, contractors, or having issues with you know a lack of manpower, having to settle financials and things like that on your own? I think the the problems or the challenges faced at Tenguanbi or yeah is is very much the same. Okay. Yeah, and actually the biggest challenge just will be uh, expectations uh, on the client side. Yeah, the technical problems are those can be solved actually quite easily. Yeah. But it's the human aspect that is more tricky. <laughs> always yeah, so EQ plays quite mm. a fair bit yeah, in this area. Yeah. In the same vein, what are some of the more difficult clients that you've had to deal with? Or, or rather difficult experiences that you've had with clients? Normally the more challenging clients are not that they, they are bad or mm. yeah, but because they, they don't understand what you have been doing or uh, couldn't discern what design language they've yeah. been doing. Yeah, those are the more so-called problematic clients, yeah. So sometimes when you show them perspectives or even if you do a model, they mm. could not visualize the eventual outcome, yeah. So are those are the ones that you really have to kind of educate along the way. How do you, you know, sort of break it down for them as uh, lay people who don't really have knowledge in design? 
Uh, you spend more more time and efforts to explain to them okay. why things are done in a certain ways. Whereas those clients who with the same uh, who are in sync with your language, mm. you don't have to talk. A lot. Instinctively, they yes, see, they understand. They, yes. What are some of the factors that you think led to the success of uh, Chang Architects? The factors are, I think, I'm pretty down to earth. Okay. Yeah, and then I'm. Um, I could say I'm passionate with what mm. I'm doing, yeah. And then I'm also very try to be conscientious of things and then what the client needs, yeah. And then to be understanding. So you you put the client first in a way. Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, they, they have to be the first mm. in the priority. Yes, yes. Would you say that like personally that you have a distinctive style that clients specifically seek you out to achieve? Mm, I'm not so sure about that because I I. For every project, I don't intend to set the distinct the design language. Mm. Yes, yeah, it's very much depends on the client's brief and also the context of the site. Yeah, that those are the things that influence the design outcome. Do you choose the projects you undertake, and what are the factors involved? You know, b between whether you accept or reject a particular project. Of course, I. I I have no grounds to choose the projects unless I'm the developer. So if let's say there are projects that come and then there's an inquiry, mm. normally I, I meet up with the client and to understand the client as a person. Okay. And then also to feel whether we have the chemistry to work along. I see. Because it will be a long affair to to embark on the project together. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So the chemistry plays a big part. And then the other criteria would be the brief what they are looking for in the design. Yeah, are they looking for some you know, some refreshing ideas or are they just looking at what really they have been done? I see. So if it's something that's a bit more cookie cutter, maybe you'll think twice. Yeah, they, they can look for architects who I mean who can do this better. And this is a bit of a general question. So how do you balance your design with uh, you know the practical concerns like costing and buildability? Those are very important criteria as well. So from the onset, you have to take this into consideration in your design to make sure that it's uh, affordable, I mean, buildable as well. And then it's practical, that's for sure it has to be. So, am I right to say that it's a little bit intuitive? You sort of know what can be done within the constraints that have been given by the client? Yes. Next, how have your non-architectural passions? I don't know if you have any interest in perhaps uh, music or art or maybe even things like cooking or uh, maybe floor arrangement like you mentioned earlier and uh, commitments. How have these influenced your designs, if at all? Uh, because I personally like music, okay. but I'm not good in playing music. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I think music alone, it, 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 but I was a play, uh, drum drummer in oh, my school okay. days. Yes, yes. So when I talk about music, it's really frozen architecture. It, it has rhythm, mm. it has beats, it, it has a uh, melody and then it has a beginning and an ending. Mm. But in jazz, there's no beginning and ending. But it's, it's hard to verbalize how these thoughts and this influence uh, trans can be translated into architecture. There's also there's a rhythm, there's spacing, how you time space and how you space mm. time. So moving on to maybe some of a more specific projects. So can you tell us about your favorite project that you've worked on? Uh, there, there are quite, quite a number. <laughs> but most of the time, the favorite ones will, will be the ones that are able to um, redefine typologies in an interesting way. Yeah. Because once you set the intention to do something different, that's the motivation behind. Yeah. So for instance, like if you just have to choose one, or you can talk about all of them. <laughs> if okay, you like prefer. My earlier projects would be the, the Elock House. Okay. Yeah, that that 
kind of uh, transform how intermediate terrace houses were, mm. were designed. And then, by the way, the how the kitchen was brought all the way to the front. Because kitchen, the utility are always yeah. planned the rear, but this one is also brought all the way to the front. Because of some concept issues, actually, okay. because there was a huge retaining wall, so the ventilation was bad. Yeah. So uh, a logical way is to bring it to the front so you have plenty of ventilation and light. So you transform that into a centerpiece of sorts. Yes. And because it's intermediate, normally there's a lack of uh, natural daylighting and ventilation. Mm. So the, it was also logical to set back the, the main space away from the two boundary wall so that you get lights from both sides. Yeah, and then you don't feel so much of living in the intermediate terrace. Not limited to projects you've worked on, but what about your favorite building, like your favorite work of architecture in general by the masters, could be by someone unknown? Uh, there, there are many also. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> so Maybe I mean, just a few. As a student, most of us love Tada Ando. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there are still inspirations up till now. Yeah, even framework, right? Yeah. Then I also admire Peter Zumdor's uh, his approach to materials and his spaces are most of the time to me is very soulful. Yeah, yeah. What would you say some of the highlights of your journey were? Highlights, uh, <laughs> like uh, favorite moments, that, uh, or perhaps even a very small moment that you remember until now for some sort of reason that resonates with you. Uh -huh, okay, that there were changes made during the construction. Mm. Uh, during construction, yeah, okay. when you discover something and then you make the change. And then when, also when the client allowed for the change. Yeah. And those are the moments whereby it was like a turning point for the project. I see. Because of that change, it, it's a different outcome at the end and then it was a better outcome. So there, there are moments like this in some of the projects. And then there are also times whereby I got inquiries from potential clients and mm. they ask for free proposals and then I, my answer to them is, is always no and then also quite interestingly because I, I, I'm very persistent mm. so they, they call up a few times and then I still persistent Okay, so more on the flip side of that, right? what will you say were some of the low points in your career? Was there a time you thought about quitting, dropping out of architecture and doing something else? That thought never came came to me because uh, there's no other options besides architecture. <laughs> I mean, I can go back to flower engineering or do my... In fact, earlier on, I was doing some odd jobs as well as okay. a receptionist. That was between O-levels and, and also during A-levels before I entered Army. Mm. Because I find that it's really meaningful as an architect and, and whatever you do, it, it has some influence in people's life. Mm. I think that's the... Driving force behind why it's worth spending the time and efforts to okay. do a great job. Uh, in that vein, do you still keep in touch with some of the clients for some of the projects? Because I assume you'll work very closely with them over maybe one, two years. Yes, we are still in touch and yeah, as and when they need some help, I, I still attend to them. Okay, that's nice, that's nice. Yes, yeah. So, I mean, so you've never thought about quitting, but you know, like, what were some of the, the, the low points, the low Low lights? points would be times whereby the client couldn't uh, appreciate what you are doing and and as an architect I have to be very persistent because if let's say there are changes made along the way mm. and you know that the changes are going to be not improvement but making the, the scheme worse those are the yeah those can be a turning point for a project so I oftentimes I try to avoid that from happening I see I yeah. see it did happen yeah so those are the times where yeah that I couldn't help yeah, but I had to, I mean, 
client had a way. Mm. It turned out not to be as as <laughs> as well as I have envisioned. I see. Because the client may not be hundred percent able to visualize what's yeah. in your mind. Yeah. Whereas you know very well mm. how's the outcome going to be. And and because of that they they have a different imaginations. And it's hard to convey that even through perspectives or through yeah, crazy renderings, yeah, they couldn't visualize. I see, I see. So those are the, I mean, unfortunate yeah, periods. How do you think the architectural industry in Singapore can improve? I think in this region, we are pretty advanced in, okay. in some ways, especially in terms of technologies, how, mm. how we enhance technologies to help in the practice and to be so-called more efficient. Okay. Yeah, but uh, I'm more concerned with the um, with the quality of design and then how refreshing our designs can be as to be cutting edge. Yeah, that's a concern because um, to, to set yourself apart from your competitors, you have to be creative. Mm. Yeah. And because of uh, social media, nowadays ideas can be copied very fast. Mm. Yeah, and then you can be influenced very easily with Instagram, yeah. with Pinterest. Yes. yes. So to be original is very, very tough nowadays yeah especially for youngsters who grew up in the ith whereas for my time we, we only had There's magazines outside influence. only magazines mm. yeah hard copies and by the time we received the magazine it's about like a few months <laughs> after okay. the project was completed I see, I see. yeah and at tenkwanbi we are not allowed magazines were banned in the office <laughs> because he didn't want you to 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 Copy. design and then with a magazine by the side. I see. You will be nagging for months if you do that. You know. <laughs> okay. So that that's my concern to be to be uh, original. Yeah, it's getting tougher and tougher. I see. Yeah. So will you say that you know like Singaporean architects, especially like young architects, do you think we are not daring enough to push the envelope? I don't think it's it's about whether daring or not daring, but whether you are able to to be out of the realm of this uh, social media I see. and to have your own thinking and your own ideas and that comes from within that's that's will be getting more and more challenging what, what do you think about you know the the working culture of architecture in general you know like uh, relative to maybe some other industries especially things like long hours things like that do, do you think it's a necessary consequence of the nature of our profession i think because it, of the nature of the, the works we do, it requires a rigor mm. in terms of thoughts, in terms of actions, in terms of putting the details into plans. It really requires a lot of effort and time. Yeah, this I think cannot be avoided, okay. especially if you want to do a good job. There's no shortcut. Where do you see the architectural industry in Singapore going, you know, like uh, in the future, maybe perhaps a decade from now? Yeah, I think it's related to whatever I've already mentioned. Mm. Yeah, about how how creative uh, we can be, because uh, I'm very concerned with how children are raised nowadays. It's a phenomenon that's happening since like 15, 20 years, because mm. uh, parents don't really understand how about child development and what's needed for a child when okay. they're young. Yeah. So actually, for children between zero to seven, they should be playing most of the time. Mm. They should not be sent to enrichment classes after enrichment classes and then given instruction mm. play and instruction activities. Mm. That will really stifle their imagination mm. and their curiosity for to discover things on their own. Yeah. Especially sense of touch. The mm. senses of the child needs to be developed during that period of time. So they have to be touching 
especially natural materials, raw materials like wood, sand, they need to play in the mud. Mm. And when it's developed, it's in the body. And then when you grow up as, a, as an adult, you have better idea of how to design. I see. Because you have this sense in you. Yeah. So we need kampong children, but we don't have kampongs for children to grow up in. In Singapore, everything is so urbanized. Yeah. You're not sensible enough to, to see that difference. Yeah. Sort of related to this, like I think I noticed one of the projects you actually designed a, a school, right? It's the yes. one in the in the terrace. So maybe can you walk us through how this philosophy of yours towards how kids should be brought up influenced the design for that project? Yeah, so in, in that particular center the children uh, spend a lot of time doing physical things. Mm. Because to them play is a uh, very hard work. Okay. Whereas when they watch adults work, right, it's play to them. For example, when they push something that's heavy, they need to lean the body more mm. as compared to pushing something very light. And then by doing the actions of pushing, they experience this and it's in the body. So when they grow up and they study physics, they can understand the equation better. I see. Because it's experience firsthand. And I see, you I know see. that's needed. All the toys are like mango seeds, uh, rubber seeds, uh, three bucks. Oh, okay, derived from nature. Yes, I see. and these are all open-ended toys. There's no stuff like Lego, because Lego mm. is very finite, and mm. every piece is standard. So they play with uh, wood blocks that are irregular in shape, plug from the tree or drop from on the ground, and then we pick it up yeah. and polish it, and then that becomes the toy for them. Yeah. So every piece is different, and then every piece they have to respond to, to the irregularities. So I have to emphasize, because we keep talking about lifelong learning, Yeah. Lifelong learning have to start from 0 to 7. That's the time whereby the curiosity of the child is uh, aroused and we have to keep that instead of uh, stifling that and uh, stopping them from And telling being them what curious. to do. Yes, mm. yeah. <laughs> so coming back, uh, that was about the industry, right? So I yes, yes. uh, noticed that you actually sent some uh, submissions for, you know, like larger scale projects like uh, Scape and the recent Founders Memorial, right? Like, so why, why do you still, still take part in competitions for these larger scale projects, uh, even knowing that your chances are probably significantly lower on account of being a solo practice. Perhaps the client will feel that you are less uh, equipped to take on such a large scale project. Yeah. So what, what's the, the rationale behind this? So normally, because being small, I have to be selective in taking part in this kind of competitions. Mm. And then if the brief said that the, de the selection of the design is based on merit, instead of the size of a company that mm, participate. I see. And also I believe that they will fulfill this uh, so-called selection criteria. Okay. So it, it should be based on design rather than, yeah. And also because uh, normally this, the programs for these projects are rare and they are normally very interesting. So it's good to exercise uh, the design skills in different nature. So it's more of like a self-development, self-improvement kind of exercise. Yes, yes. And whether to win the project, that's secondary. I see, yeah. okay. But for the memorial, for this memorial is, I mean, as a Singaporean born mm. bred here, I thought it's, it's my duty to take part. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, thought, I mean, this is a place for Singaporeans. And I thought, who else can tell the story than a local Singaporean? Has to be a Singaporean, yes, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was more like a calling to, to take part, at least take part. What are your views on you know, architectural competitions like in general? Do you feel like, perhaps for some of the larger scale competitions for instance, do you feel like participants who take part but don't win are being sort of unfairly compensated for their time and effort that they put in? You know, like it, it's, it's a very large amount of work to submit a proposal. Of course, when we 
decide to enter into a competition, of course the goal is to get the project and mm. get uh, commission. Yeah. yeah. Of, course, of course, you have to be realistic that there will be only one winner. Mm. Yeah. So you have to be mentally prepared for the, the I outcome. See. Yeah. So, but do you think that perhaps like as an industry-wide kind of thing, do you feel that the government or perhaps like BCA or something could do more to sort of at least impose, you know, a minimum like a fee that they give to all entrants, for, for example? I think that really depends on the capacity of the developer or I the see, organization. Yeah. Yeah. But of course, as architects, we, we have the right to choose whether to take part mm. <laughs> and then to face the consequence. Uh, moving on to more, more recent happening, are you working on any projects right now? A uh, couple of uh, residential and also uh, office projects. With how COVID has affected everyone's lives recently, so has this period amidst the pandemic been a challenging time? And you know, like what significant changes has it had on your uh, the operations of your firm? Not not so much, except that uh, set progress has been uh, mm. slowed down significantly uh, because of the lack of work. Yeah. Because, yeah. So have costs also gone up? The yes, cost of construction. Yes. Cost of the labor, cost of materials. Yeah. So because it's affecting everybody and then yeah, and clients also understand, yeah, so I mean. Let's have to take it in stride. Yes, yes. So do you have any, you know, like future plans for the company? Would you consider expanding to maybe the size of a small firm, four to five people, or like maybe moving into a new office? Or are you, are you happy with the direction it's going in right now? Uh, normally I go with the flow, yeah, and I will expand organically. Yeah, mm. yeah. As in when there are more projects, then I will need to hire more staff mm. and then, yeah rather than to hire more staff and then waiting for projects I see. or praying for their big projects <laughs> to come here. Yeah. So rather go along with the flow mm. and then do my best with whatever that's on my hand mm. at the moment. Yeah. So if you get, for instance, like if you hire new staff for when more projects come in, that will be on a temporary basis, like contractual for the duration of the project? Uh, normally it would be like, a, because I view staff as a long, long-term relationship, mm. yeah, because you, you both have, you have, the staff need to understand how, how you operate as a, mm. as a designer, yeah. as an architect, yeah. So temporary staff, to me, is, is not a good solution, yeah, because the team has to be closely knit. If you could travel back in time, right, what's one piece of advice you give to yourself in the past? Would you have done anything differently? Because normally decisions are made at the point of time, mm. that kind of circumstances and with that kind of frame of mind. If I were to go back, I could have made the same decision. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I would do otherwise. So no regrets? Yeah, no regrets. Yeah. What would you say to someone who is considering starting their own architectural practice? I think the very question that you have to contemplate is uh, the intention and the motive of starting this practice. Okay. Yeah, what's the driving force and what's the, what's the desire to, to start this firm? Yeah, and what do you intend to serve? Of course, you should not be seeing as it as a as a job. I see. Yeah, you should be seeing something uh, of higher aspirations and higher intentions. So the root question is why do, why do I start? I see. Own, yeah. And so your answer was to this because you want to like push yourself, push myself as a designer and as an architect, and also to do my best to to come up with interesting and inspiring spaces yeah, for the end users. Thank you for listening to the Studio SML podcast. To hear the stories of more Singaporean architects and designers, head to www.studiosml.net.
where you can find out more about Studio SML as well as all our podcast episodes.